All right, we're going to be talking about understanding our impact in the world. As Christians, we need to understand our impact, what kind of role we play in the world. It's very important that we understand it, right? God wants us, let me say this, God wants us to make an impact in the world. He wants us to make an impact in our families, in our on our job, everywhere we go. God wants us to make an impact. That's why he allowed us to stay here after he saved us. If that wasn't the case, he could have just took us home. Amen. But he wants us to be here so that we can make an impact in the world, starting with our families first. Look at David said here in Psalm 12, 1 uh, through 4. Actually, we're going to read this first. Excuse me. We're going to read this first verse. It says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Okay. Now, look, David, what he did, he cried out to God for help because he was living in a time where godly men were few and far between. Now, we're living in that time now where we see very few godly people. You know, we see people that are uh, claim to be Christians and stuff like that. But um, real, true, truly godly people are few and far between. You know, everybody claims to be a Christian, you know. And then it says the moral standards of right and wrong were fading away in David's time. We're seeing the same thing today. The moral standards are eroding real fast. I mean, we're seeing some stuff that we didn't see years ago. We're seeing some stuff that was not allowed, should I say, being allowed. I mean, it's getting to the point where it's just downright ridiculous when we talk about the moral standards of society. It's ridiculous. So David realized it was because of a lack of godly men. In other words, God-fearing people. From his perspective, evil was winning. And you know, it kind of looks like that now in our day. It looks like evil is winning. You know, it's like we see so much, so many bad things, you know, but we got to keep this in perspective. The news media and the media in general is not going to broadcast nothing good. You know, people are not interested in good stories for the most part. People want to see blood and guts. They want to see negative stuff. They want to see, you know, people mainly attracted to the negative. So we're not going to see the good things that are going on. But from David's perspective, it looked like evil was winning. And even from our perspective, if we really look at it, it looks like that. Now, what does this tell us, right? Number one, we as God's people, we play a pivotal role in society. We have a positive influence on the culture. And we stem a restricted tide of evil. So it's because we're here. Amen. Because the Holy Spirit is here and he's indwelling us, the Holy Spirit through us is holding back evil and keeping the devil from doing what he really want to do. And see, that's why sometimes God would place us in a situation where we can have a positive influence in our families, in our homes, you know, in our jobs, because we do what? We bring light in the midst of darkness. We restrict evil. If we wasn't here and the Holy Spirit wasn't here, I'm going to tell you something. The devil would just take over and just have his way. But because we're here, because the Holy Spirit is here, the devil cannot do what he wants to do. Amen. Now, look what it says right here. Proverbs 14 and 34. It says, righteousness exalted a nation, 
but sin is a reproach to any people. I'm going to read that same verse in the Amplified. I like what it says here. It says righteousness, moral and spiritual integrity, and virtuous character. What it does, it exalts a nation. It raises up. It lifts up a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. So here's what it's saying here. The character of a nation is determined, number one, by the people in the nation. When those people are righteous and they have moral and spiritual integrity, God will lift up that nation. God will raise that nation up and hold that nation up as a standard. And that's why America is so blessed. Why? Because for the most part, we embrace Christianity. Now, we know there's a lot of negative things going on in America. We know that we can't say America is a hundred percent Christian nation. We can't say that, but we can say, um, for the most part, most people in America, uh, embrace Christian and Judeo values. They embrace the Bible. Amen. The Bible is part of the heritage of America. Amen. And that's why God raised America up and has blessed America like he has done, like he does, like he did. Amen. But at the same time, there's a lot of wickedness going on in America too. You know, no place is perfect. Just like there's not a perfect nation. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect family. And there's no perfect person. Amen. Now, look what it says here. We should allow God to use us to be a source of godly influence wherever we are. In other words, our circle of influence. We all have a circle of influence. We all uh have a, a sphere of influence where we can bring light. We are light bearers. And God is depending on us, right, to bring light in the midst of darkness. Now, here's the thing. We have to be the light. Amen. Here's the thing. We're the salt of the earth. We have to be salty. We, are, we have to have our own flavor. Amen. Here's the thing. We got to make sure that we're living opposite of the way the worldly folks are living. We can't do what they do. And then say we, we are bringing light. No, <laughs> we have to be different. Matthew 5 and 13, it says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor or its flavor, where shall it be salted? Now, here's the thing. The Bible calls us the salt of the earth. It says the lost salt has lost its flavor. How is it going to get its flavor back? Once you lose your flavor, you didn't lost it. It said it is thenceforth. Good for nothing, but to cast be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. See, the reason they're saying that because in those times, they would use salt. They would salt the roads, much like we do today. When the bridges ice up and everything and they throw sand. When the salt has lost its flavor, that's all it was good for, was to salt the roads. That's what they was using for. That's why it's saying that. Now, it says here, salt, number one, was used as a preservative. It was used to keep meat from spoiling and we as christians help preserve what we preserve the moral standards of righteousness in the world you know if we don't hold up the christian standard we don't hold up the standard of righteousness who will god is depending on us to do it we have to be that standard of morality in the world and even when it comes to i'm not getting into politics but i'm gonna say this we need to vote our christian views we need to vote our christian convictions another thing salt was and is used for was to enhance the flavor of something unpalatable in other words something that was unpleasant to the taste 
We help make living down here, watch this, in an unpleasant world, a world of sin, more tolerable. But because through us, God can bring what? He can bring hope. We can influence the world for good through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We bring hope to the world. We make living down here more tolerable. If it wasn't for Christianity and the Holy Spirit, man, this it's already tough down here. Imagine what it would be like without Christianity. Now, I didn't say religion. I said Christianity because Christianity is really not a religion. It's a lifestyle. Amen. We should pray to God that he will raise up what? Righteous men and women in key positions of authority. You know, we should be praying that God will raise up leaders, godly leaders in our country. We should be praying for that. In fact, the Bible says that we should pray for all men, for kings and all that in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life. See, our prayers have an impact on the condition of our country. If we should be doing anything, we should be praying. You know, praying is not the last option. It's the first option. Okay, why? In order that our society may be what? Impacted for good. We want godly, moral people in key positions of power. Proverbs 29 and 2 says, look what it says here. When the righteous are in authority, that is there, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. Why? Because the righteous people are going to do the right thing. You notice if you look at that word righteous, you see right. Now, when the wicked people are in power, they're not going to do the right thing. A lot of times they're going to be self-centered. They're going to be crooked. They're going to be indulged in bribery and all kind of wickedness. They're not going to have the best interest of the people at heart. That's why the Bible says when they are in power, when the wicked are in power, the people mourn. The people are, are being grieved. The people are being hurt. The people are being misused and abused by wicked people in authority. That's why we want righteous people in the thought, and we should pray for that. Now, another thing is this. It is important to note, now watch this. David was speaking from a human perspective. It doesn't necessarily mean it was bad as it seemed to be. Why? Because being human, we are limited in our own view, all right? Now, listen to this. Things look bad, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's as bad as it seems to be because we are, our view is what limited. We don't have a global view. We can't see everything. You know, it looks bad from our standpoint because we only can see so much. A lot of times we feel what we feel alone. We may feel like, man, I'm the only one, only Christian on this job. I'm the only Christian in my family. And, and, and it's hard sometimes, but guess what? You're not alone. There's people all over the world going through the same thing. See, feeling alone and appearing to be alone doesn't mean we're all alone. For number one, God is with us always. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. So what we have to do is remember we're not by ourselves. And if we're going through, look like we're going through by ourselves, there's other Christians all over the world that's going through. I'm going to give us an example of that. Uh, case in point, Elijah. He had that very... Uh, uh, that same experience like what David had, very similar to that, should I say. He was discouraged and thought he was the only one left. Look what he says in 1 Kings 19 and 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. I even, 
I only am left. See, he thought he was the only one left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now look what God said to this. God said in 1 Kings 19 and 18, he says, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which had not kissed him. See, Elijah wasn't by himself, but from his perspective, he was by himself. That's why I said before, we may seem to be alone, but that doesn't necessarily mean we are alone. Amen. Things is not always as bad as it seems. Romans 11, 4 and 5, look what it says. But what said the answer of God? Same instance, New Testament. I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time, also there's a remnant. All right. Now, what, what is a remnant? It's a small part of a small number according to the election. Watch this of grace. So God said, listen, I have a remnant. Just like God had that remnant of what? 7,000 men in Elijah's day. God have a, a remnant today in our time. You know, we need to understand this. We're always going to be in the minority as Christians. We're always going to be in the minority. Why? You have more people on their way to hell than you have on their way to heaven. And that's a true fact. The Bible talks about the wide gate. Then it talks about the narrow gate. So we have to understand that we're always going to be in a minority. But guess what? Being in the minority doesn't impact our ability to be used mightily by God. God has always used a minority. Even the nation of Israel itself, the Bible talks about how it was the smallest of all nations. See, God don't need a lot of people. He just needs a unified people. Amen. And we can get things done when we unify. We need to be on our knees praying. Praying for the condition of the world. Praying for the sick. Praying for those in prison. Praying for one another. Amen. Praying that God will move and have mercy. And that God will save. Amen. That people will open up their hearts to God. That's what we need to be praying for. That people will open their hearts to God. Because we can't make people get saved. We have to do what? Pray for them. Pray that God will open eyes of the understanding. And sometimes we can't reach him. We have to pray that God will send somebody who can reach them. Amen? Now, we mustn't allow ourselves to become discouraged by numbers, how things may appear. God has always worked through a remnant, a small portion of people, to bring about big change. Another example. Now, this is going to be a visual example when I'm talking about Old Testament, uh, we're talking about Gideon. Gideon's army went from 32,000 to 300 men. And we're going to read the account right here. Coming from the book of Judges 7, starting at verse 1, it says, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the well of Harad, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side, of them by the hill of Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So now what it is here is God wanted it to be no doubt that it was he that gave the victory to Israel. Sometimes, you know, when we have a whole lot going on, We'll take the glory for ourselves. God know us. God know man. He know the nature of man. 
He know what we're prone to do. He know our uh, habits. He know our proclivities. As human beings, we have a habit of wanting to take the glory for ourselves. Amen. But God knows us. He know how we is. So God said, listen, Gideon, you have too many people. Verse 3 says, Now therefore proclaiming the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 people returned and 10,000 remained. Now, so the army went from 32,000 to 10,000. 22,000 chickens left. <laughs> 22,000 of people who was afraid went on. So he left with 10,000. Now, I'm pretty sure Gideon was saying in his mind, man, what I'm going to do with this? <laughs> it says, verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the wall and I will test them for you. There, then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one should go with you, the same should go with you. And whomever I say to you, this one should not go with you, the same should not go. Let me tell you something. Can I just throw this in there? Everybody can't go with you. We need to get that now here. Everybody's uh, not capable of, 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 of riding it out all the way with you. Amen. They don't have it in them. Sometimes we expect too much out of people. Look what verse 5 says. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laughs from the water with his tongue as dogs laughs, you should set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lap, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lap, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his own place. Now, here's the thing. The army went from 10,000 to 300 people. And God said, okay, these are the 300 I want. I'm pretty sure Gideon said to himself, what am I going to do with this? But see, it's a God thing. Like I said before, God doesn't need a whole lot of people to do big things. Amen? Because he's a big God. But it's interesting. He said, listen, the ones that lap like dogs. I, I thought about that, y'all. I kind of I kind of laugh about it because I, I watched the NBA, you know, and, and they often say, I often hear the players say, we got dogs with us. You know, they want them dogs. They don't want no scary people. Hey man, you, you want somebody that got some fight in them. You know, dogs have fight in them. You want somebody that's going to be a dog out there with you. You don't want no chickens. Hey Amen. They sent the chickens home. Now, it says here, listen to this. Having large numbers is good, but whether we are many or whether we are few, our trust should always be in God, not people. Our source not our resources. God is our source. We trust in him. Now, we can apply this to anything. You know, we it's not how much money we have in the bank. Amen? It's good to have a lot of money in the bank. But guess what? Even if we had a lot of money in the bank, we don't depend on that. Amen? Riches come and go. Amen? We don't depend on our resources. We don't depend on our education. We don't depend on our job. We thank God for that. Those are resources, not the source. We depend on God. Those things God uses to bless us, but he is the blesser. Amen. We don't make money out of God. A lot of people make that mistake. 
They make money their God and they go after money instead of going after God. Look what it says right here, case in point. Now, I'm going to flip the coin here, right? Ride with me. We're going to flip the coin and we're going to see what happened when David started depending on people instead of depending on God. In other words, he was looking at numbers. God had to teach David a lesson about depending on people. And that's going to be coming from 2 Samuel 24 and 1. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Now, we're going to drop down to 1 Chronicles 21, 1-8. Same account, but it says it a little different here. Now, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. And that's coming from 1 Chronicles 21 and 1. Now, the first account says God moved David. Second account says Satan moved David. Now, who was it? Simple. God allowed Satan to move David. See, when the writers wrote, they understood that the devil couldn't do anything without God allowing him to do it. So that's why they say God did it. But actually, it was Satan did it, but God allowed him to do it. Now, what he did, he took a census. In other words, he counted the people. Now, some of y'all might be saying, what's such a big deal about counting people? I mean, they did census in the Bible all the time. It was why he did it, right? Look what it says here. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Bathsheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. Now even Joab, we know Joab wasn't a godly man in the Bible, but he even knew what David was doing was wrong. Why are you numbering the people? God is in control no matter how many people we have. He can make uh, the people more effective no matter how how many people we have. That's basically what Joab was saying. But my Lord, the king, are they not all the Lord's servants? Now that was Joab. Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he cause a cause of guilt in Israel? See, even Joab understood, listen, David, man, you, you're wrong for this. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. So Joab basically left two tribes out, which the Levites was a tribe of priests, but he didn't count Benjamin. So they had a lot more than that. Now look what it says right in verse 7. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he struck Israel. Now, why was God, we got to remember this Old Testament now. Why was God displeased with what David had done? Like I said before, it wasn't so much what he did, but the reason he did it. See, David was looking at the size of his army. He was looking at what he had. He was looking at numbers, much the same way as people would look at how much they have in the bank account. Amen. Much the way as people look at how many people they have on their team. See, here's the thing. God doesn't want us depending on what we have. He wants us to depend on him. And when we start depending on what we have, amen, that's a sin. Because why? That's not putting faith and trust in God. The Bible says, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. See, we don't look at our resources, whether we have resources or not. We look to God. 
Amen. Well, we have plenty or much. We look to God. We depend on him. He's our source. And when we start looking at what we have, a lot of times it's a source for pride. It, it, it causes us to be lifted up. You know, some people can't handle having a lot. Some people can't handle having millions of dollars in the bank. They'll get the big head. Amen. They'll start depending on the money instead of depending on God. Amen. That's why Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, how hard is it for a rich man to enter to the kingdom of heaven? He said, look what Jesus said. Jesus said, it's easy You're for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to explain that. Now, that's talking about when it says the eye of a needle. There was a gate called the eye of a needle in Jerusalem. In order for the camel to get through, he could get through it. But what he would have to do is kneel down and crawl through on his knees. See, basically, Jesus was saying this. In order for a rich man to enter to the kingdom of heaven, he would have to humble himself. And a lot of times, rich people, the hardest thing for them to do in the world is to humble themselves. Why? Because they feel like they have it all. They feel like they're better than a lot of people because of what they have. Amen. Moving on to verse 8. Look what it says. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. Now David acknowledges sin. But now I pray thee, take away the iniquity of your servant. For I have done very foolishness. One thing about David. When David was wrong, he was willing to admit he was wrong. Now there was some consequences. I'm not going to read that. But in your private time, go ahead and read uh, 2 Samuel, the 24th chapter. It tells you those consequences. But the thing about it is, here's the bottom line. We ought to look to God. Amen. And we may look alone, but we're not alone. Things may seem bad, but it's not always as bad as it seems. We have other believers all around the world in agreement with us. Amen. Whether we see them or not. So we don't go by what we see. The Bible said we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. So we can't allow ourselves to become discouraged by what we're seeing with our natural eyes. 